Welcome to today's episode of Let Me Be Brief. I am your co-host, Andy Rieger, joined as always by my good friend, Matt Basinger. Best buddy. Of Swell Spark. We're in the Let It Fly Media Studios. Today's show is brought to you by M-Prize Bank. We have Miss Jackie Wise with us in the studios. And today's guest is someone... He has a quite interesting story. We're even going to talk about his logo in a little bit. We were talking about it before the show. Matt was trying to just unload the whole story before the show, and we're saving it. Naeem Alameen. Naeem is the founder and CEO of Swag Inc. Naeem, welcome to the show. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be on. Let me be brief. Thank you all for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited. Thanks for being here. So the softball question, just to get it started, what do you do? What is Swag Inc., and then what do you do? That's a really great question. And so Swag Inc. is a nonprofit that I created. It stands for Serve, Witness, and Give Guidance. Inspiration never ceases. And what I do in that role is serve, connect, and ask. And so I'm someone that's been impacted by mass incarceration over 30 years. And that would be the inspiration behind creating a new business model in the mass incarceration space that puts ownership of the reentry process in our clients' hands. Dive into that a little bit more and and not to put you on the spot, but as far as how much of your story you want to share, you said you've been around mass incarceration for 30 years. Right. Uh, I guess really my question is, at what point were you like, hey, this is an issue and I'm going to do something about it? Right. So that's a really great question. And to really get to know me, Matt, you have to be willing to go on a journey through dysfunction, trauma, poverty and systemic racism and on through a trajectory of foster care, gang life, and prison. Mm. And so we kind of talked earlier, as Andy alluded to, kind of like where I was born and where I grew up at. And actually, I was born in the Midwest, and I enjoyed my nucleus family up until I was about seven years old, and we experienced a life-changing event, that being foster care. And so we were, me and my siblings, were placed in foster care in Los Angeles, California. Mm. And- Together? No, apart. And so we all went to different um, foster homes. And so mm-hmm. I have two siblings. Shout out to Elin and Tammy. <laughs> and um, so for me, my experience different than theirs. Um, and so one day I was at a park playing basketball and a gang approached me and they said, hey, we noticed that you just moved into the group home down the street. Do you know who your father is? I said, no. And so they said, well, we're gonna call you unknown. Here's a 38 and go rob somebody and bring us back whatever you get or you can't come back here, right? And so I did it. You were eight years old? I was eight years old. I failed miserably. Um, I attempted to rob an adult Mexican man who more likely than not experienced more loss than me. And I was processed and booked, fingerprinted and placed in a cell with grown men at eight years old. Mm. And that was my introduction to the criminal justice system. And it just seemed like uh, uh, onslaught of adversity after that. And so at nine, I seen someone murdered for the first time as a part of gang violence. By 10, I ran away from myself from foster care to escape the physical and sexual abuses. And by 12, I joined one of the largest gangs in Los Angeles, California, in the rolling 60s neighborhood Crips. And by 13, I will be arrested or incarcerated for the first time through, through juvenile hall. And so for me, it would start at eight years old. I mean, goosebumps. Yeah, I know. That's, oh, <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, keep, can you keep going? I can. I, I mean, can. And so, as I said, I would, after I joined the gang, I would be placed in juvenile hall. And the way I got there was quite interesting. Um, I attempted to steal a car with one of my, my friends from the gang. We were caught. 
the owner of the vehicle said, if you tell me, if you let me call your parents and let them know what happened, you can leave. And so I called my mom and she came out and he said, you know, he told me everything. He was honest. You can go ahead and take him home. And she said, no, call the police on him. Mm. She was trying to teach me a lesson, but it will ultimately put me on a path of over 30 years of impact with mass incarceration. Coming from a place of... Sorry, the, that was at 14 then? 13. 13. At 13. So I had my thir 13th birthday when I was incarcerated. Um, and so what that would do, as I said, was set me on that trajectory of incarceration. And that's where my adolescence was exhausted in juvenile hall. So I didn't have the traditional experiences of school, forming relationship with peers, teachers that wanted to defend and promote your future. Mine was in a system of incarceration. And so I've been to prison as an adult three times, or I've had three prison experiences, and kind of speak on them real briefly. The first one when I was 18, that was on me, right? As odd as it may sound, I wanted to earn my prison stripes so I could stand out in my gang. And so I put myself in a compromising position where I told detectives that I did something that I didn't do, and through the judicial process that would be revealed and because uh, I exhausted the court's time and intelligence, I was sentenced to 10 years and they suspended eight and a half. So I s served a year and a half in prison. But as I said, a part of that trauma, that dysfunction, I was prepared to go to have that mindset to want to go to prison. So the, so the court determined that you made it up purely to impress the gang and because of that then Correct. you had your own punishment through the courts, but they determined that you really didn't do anything wrong. Correct. You just wanted it to seem as if you did. Correct. Sorry. Wow. Keep going. Wow. And so um, at 21, I was in a in a a place of really trying to find myself. I was pretty lost, and I was still selling drugs. I grew up in a drug culture as a way to sustain myself when I was younger. That's the economy that I learned um, coming from the. Um, curb serving well first being able to secure a relationship to have drugs what, what were drugs in this context crack cocaine it was a really great question um crack cocaine in the early 90s so 1992 93 kind of thing and you would have to first secure that relationship then be able to curb serve or sell drugs on a corner and then graduate to having a house an apartment and then ultimately to be able to go out of town when you would reach that boss status those relationships and having that surplus in narcotics, right? And being able to elevate people that way. And so that's the culture that I grew up in. At 21, I was arrested on the highway in Kansas, uh, pulled over for speeding. I had 21 grams of weed on me and I was arrested for possession of intent with to sell marijuana. And I received four years. It was my first drug offense. How did you get to Kansas? It's a great question. Um, I caught a plane. Were you still living in L.A. at this time? I was. I was. I was. But I was born in, in, in the Midwest and I had family here. And so um, my mom was in the Midwest. She was in Kansas. And so I would come back uh, to her. But I would also bring drugs with me. Mm. Right. And so I did that. And I was arrested and I received four years for 21 grams of marijuana over 20 years ago. The irony is today I have a medical marijuana car, can have up to four ounces. <laughs> but 20 years ago, I went to prison for four years. Yeah. Um, and at that time, I did some self-introspection and I determined that I had to have some ownership. Even though my life had didn't start off as favorable that I had liked, I knew that I wasn't a career drug dealer, 
right and gangbanger and that I had something of value, something to offer. And so I determined that I would seek education as a way to elevate myself. And so after I was released from prison, I essentially enrolled in, well, actually what I did was enroll in Manhattan Area Technical College, a technical college seeking an associate's degree. That's how far off I was from the world of academia. I couldn't even turn on the computer, hmm. right? And so um, my advisor would get me to the right place. And ultimately, I would earn a bachelor's of science in sociology, a BS in criminology, and an AS in psychology from Kansas State University. And something very interesting happened from 2010 to 2013 when I graduated in 2010. No employer would hire me. I went 0 for 150 on the interview wow. gamut because I had a felony conviction for marijuana, a drug offense. Couldn't get over the hump. And so I reverted back to a scarcity mindset, something that I didn't want to do. It was an indulgent time in my life where I took more than I gave. But I had to do something, and, and that's what I opted to do. And that's how I would become associated with someone that was under investigation by the feds, right? And because I didn't turn state evidence on him, the charges were dismissed against him, and they were filed on me. And I received 68 months. And every player in the courtroom, the judge, the prosecutor, the bailiff, the clerk, my attorney knew that I didn't commit a crime. And they sent me to prison anyway. Hmm. Because you withheld that information and that was the charge, the sole charge. Right, because I didn't turn state evidence. Okay. So they charged me with conspiracy. And so that took you then to, did you serve all full 68 months? I served 60 of those 68. So that took us to 2018 or so? Absolutely. 2019? Yes, sir. And so then is that really the foundation of Swag Inc.? Does that reach us to the beginning of that chapter? It does. It does um, by way of a 20-minute conversation. Uh, so what that looked like before, well, while I was ultimately under invest investigation as well, I didn't know it at the time, but I went back to L.A., to the Crenshaw District, to the rolling 60s where I'm from to secure more product. And I had a conversation with one of my friends that was on the verge of signing their first major music deal. Hmm. And I said, hey, bro, who you gonna sign with? Rick Ross or some other entity? And he said, for me, it's about ownership. It's about, excuse me, he said it's about patience because it's about ownership. It's about creating a long-term plan and it's about elevating the status of the people around you, right? And so I had no clue what he said to me. I didn't speak that language. And it was evident by me still trying to petition him to enter a drug deal with me. And he told me, no, I'm focused on this music. And so I have status in my hood from that area, the Crenshaw District. I've been over there since 1990. And I didn't understand and know that I was receiving, right? And But during the time of me serving my five years, it would become clear that I didn't speak the language that he understood. And the person that I'm referring to is Nipsey Hussle. I had an opportunity to watch him evolve over the course of my five years through his music, his interviews, listen to other people sing his raps and listening to his music in the cell house. And I understood that I had a cheat code and I understood that I had to write a business plan, right? Because it was about ownership. And that was my way that I could create legacy and elevate the status of the people that had been impacted like me. So let's, I mean, we could spend I could spend that was hours awesome, by the way. listening Thank you to for your story. And I'm, Thank you. I appreciate your vulnerability as well with that. So the last four years, right? Um, you go from this kind of storied past, and there's probably a lot of assumptions that folks could make if they don't get to know you, but you've leveraged that into an opportunity 
to serve Kansas City <laughs> and an opportunity to take what you have learned and make sure that other folks maybe have uh, the same cheat code that you found. And so wow. let's focus maybe on the last couple of years of, tell us about Swag Inc. Absolutely. Like how, how did it start? And I mean that literally. And then what does your day-to-day -day look like? I saw on your website, $155 can basically ensure or make it so that one wouldn't find themselves reincarcerated. Uh, so maybe tell me just a little about, about what you're doing now, if you don't mind. Absolutely. And so Swag Inc. Um, is really an opportunity for people to be the best version of themselves that has had a system manage, you know, their outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so we take that out of the system hands and places in our clients and their support system. And so the way that I was able to garner um, these these amazing partnerships in the community would come via an opportunity that UPS gave me mm -hmm. upon my release. And so I was hired as a package handler for UPS and within four months, I was promoted to human resources. Mm -hmm. And so I went from someone who could never secure an employment opportunity to a decision maker um, at a high level. And so in that role, I was able to submit my working business plan as I had been transversing through the entrepreneurial ecosystem. I submitted that to the C-suite. They saw value, allowed me to work autonomously, co-brand UPS and Swag Inc. and focus on hiring returning citizens, mm. right? Shout out to Eric Day, UPS, my manager. And so for believing in me, that was huge. And it allowed for me to create a partnership with probation and parole, the Department of Corrections, and a proof and concept of my pre-entry model in terms of retention reduces recidivism. If you're a qualified retained employee, if you had that impact, you're more likely not gonna go back to prison, right? That was the assumption and it turned out to be, you know, um, statistically sound. I was able to increase retention by 70%, increase uh, attendance by 50% and we experience zero recidivism amongst our clients. Wow. Right. And so now enter COVID. We were incorporated <laughs> Swag Inc. in 2019 officially as a 5013C tax exempt entity. We progressed through COVID and that actually aligned us with our business model of pre-entry because at first we were working in the community at large garnering that support. COVID comes, everything shuts down, and now my contact at probation and parole forced me to the Department of Corrections. And over those two years, um, we were able to build out a plan to be ready once um, COVID was over, technically kind of thing. Sure. And also the Department of Corrections changed their philosophy on reentry. They decided that it was a pandemic too. <laughs> right, and we needed to get ahead of it. And I just so happily introduced the pioneer business model. And so now we're in transitional center of Kansas City, 651 Mulberry Street mm -hmm. in the West Bottoms. We're there every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Um, in terms of what that $155 does, 50 of that will go to our Hustle 2.0 curriculum. It offers 12 evidentiary-based planning that equate to emotional intelligence upon completion. And you receive a credential. But what I find to be one of the most valuable um, resources of this curriculum is that it can be used by someone that's incarcerated and also their support system so it can navigate through what that experience looks like and have ownership over that, right? And so that's really huge. Um, the other uh, 105 is applied to administrative costs so we can keep running, yeah. primarily our system by community care link. What do you do um, to help businesses become educated you know, I, there, it's an interesting time hearing your perspective of things and knowing what your organization does. 
and you know we're filming this in June of 2022 there's still I would say a labor issue at right. a lot of businesses who are saying hey we can't find staff and you're over here saying hey my people can't find employment right <laughs> so how, how do you work with businesses to help them understand um, that not, not to say that this is okay right but that that there are returning citizens who are worth being invested in and and should be employed Wow, really great question, Matt. Um, one of the things that I evolved to in my role um, is a keynote speaker on diversity, equity, inclusion as it relates to returning citizens. And so at Swag Inc., we develop diversity by relationships with employers that help our clients transition back in the community as stakeholders. We facilitate equity by creating market value assets that allow our clients to be portable amongst industries like the construction, craft, and trades. And we facilitate, excuse me, we promote that inclusion by promoting ownership for those impacted by mass incarceration and elevating the status of people or businesses in positions of power to do something about it. So to unpack that, we are in um, a collaboration process with J.E. Dunn Construction, where we are introducing market value assets in the construction craftsman trades, where J.E. Dunn will upskill um, and hire our clients before they're released. Mm -hmm. And so we connect the business community to an untapped talent pool, because as you hinted, um, Matt, the economy is impacted by COVID-19, non-job seekers, the gig economy, and also mass incarceration. 2.3 million people incarcerated. Of those 2.3 million, 70% will otherwise be able to participate in the workforce because they're incarcerated for a nonviolent drug offense. And so we take the business community to that untapped talent to first develop relationships. That's the first step. Mm -mm. And so, I mean, I, the, the last like summary question that I have is a big part of this is, you know, the the real goal of this is not only just education of that population making the transition, but having a hundred percent placement success rate so that you know that you've got a pipeline more or less on both ends. Right. And one comes in, you more or less process them so that they are ready to go. And then once they're ready to go in your eyes or in Swag Inc's eyes as a bigger organization as a whole, that this is where they are being placed and you know that they have the highest chance of success. The employer understands exactly what it is. And so it's more or less also securing that pipeline of takers, let's call it, of companies so that you can just build this middleman hub. Is that well, boiled down sort of the like ultimate goal that it's 100 percent success for everybody once they exit the program? You're absolutely correct. You exit, exit prison with swag in our model. That's what we want to envision. And so I really want to give a shout out to Michael Lawrence, the CEO of Big Brothers and Big Sisters, KC. I, I came on to Big Brothers and Big Sisters as a member of the diversity, equity, inclusion team. And Throughout that relationship, we've been able to secure a partnership on the employment side. And so Swag Inc. is the official recruiter for the driver assistant position for Big Brothers Big Sisters. Mm -hmm. um, Michael saw value in the work that I wanted to do and he leveraged his resource to help me get that done. But what that equates to now is a person that is incarcerated, right, gets to be restored and help bolster the economy. All right, we're, we're way over time already. It's been totally worthwhile. I have one, I'll call it quick question. Okay. For folks, for the Andes of the world, for the Matsa world, small business owners, business owners in Kansas City, 
what can we do to support you? And then for our listeners who maybe aren't in the ability to do hiring decisions, what can folks listening to this podcast do to support your organization? Absolutely. So if you're interested in supporting Swag Inc., uh, we're always interested in developing relationships with the business community to determine if switching from, excuse me, talent acquisition to talent sourcing would be a good fit uh, for your organization. Also, we're always looking for volunteers. I think the national wage average for volunteers like 30 an hour, right? And so um, we could definitely benefit from that. Reoccurring donors, if you want to invest in this organization, have some skin in the game, uh, we can always accept reoccurring donors. Right now, we have partnered with United Way, Be Great Together, and GIFT, our generating income for tomorrow. Shout out to Brandon Calloway, uh, to a fundraiser for five black businesses, businesses that is doing work in the um, black community. And so if you want to support us there, you can go to give giveblackkc.org and make a donation there. Awesome. Also, well, speaking engagements. Um, I can come out and, and deliver the message to your team. I awesome. love it. My last question, nothing to do with business. We always end with this question. It's your favorite thing you've ever done. Best experience you've ever had. Being in the movie Baby Boy. <sighs> All right. Snoop Dogg. We're going to have to talk about that more. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Stop. <laughs> what was the role? <laughs> and so I was in the scene in Civil Brand. It was an old women's jail in California. It's a historic scene in the movie where Snoop is calling home uh, from the jail cell. And so John Singleton rolls out on his four-wheeler. Big old extendo camera comes off of it, drops right in my face. I'm in the front of the line. Tyrese is about three people behind me, and it's a simple jail movement, right? We're just walking from point A to point B. And so we went and w- did it one time. John, John Singleton said, hey, I don't like that. Most of you all have been to jail. Act like you're mad. <laughs> it, was really, it was really funny. It was really funny, <laughs> right? And so we nailed it. Um, then we had an opportunity to go back to Snoop trailer, smoke weed with him, and have great conversations. In fact, <laughs> Snoop called me to the back of the trailer. He says, at that point, at that time, my name was Debo. He says, hey, Debo, come here, cuz. So we go to the back. He says, hand me this black duffel bag. I pick it up. I hand it to him. He unzips it. It's five individual packs of weed, probably pounds. And he says, this one at the bottom is the least best. This one at the top is the very best. Which one do you want, cuz? I said, Snoop, give me the best. (laughs) He says, no. I got to (laughs) start you with the least best because it's a process, because it's a ladder. But what that did was when when Snoop... um, when I had the interaction with Snoop, it would teach me about appreciation, right? Hmm. And processes and going up the ladder. It was really huge. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing so much of your story. Uh, excited to see what you continue to do with the city behind you here. And, <laughs> and thank you for making time for us here uh, on Let Me Be Brief. All right. Thank you for having me, Matt. Appreciate you. God bless.